Hi, and welcome to Learning and Development 101. I'm your host, Joe, and today I am joined by an exceptional guest uh, who was, in fact, at some point in time, a mentor to me. Uh, he may not remember it, but he certainly was when he worked for Avado. In fact, he may even remember me calling him out on some questionable material. Uh, but I'd like to introduce you all, ladies and gentlemen, to Mr. Ian Turner. Uh, Ian, come on in, say hi to the folks and just tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, sure. Hi, everybody. Thanks very much, uh, Joe, for inviting me along. And yes, I do remember you very clearly um, and, and well, uh, well versed you are in L&D and all things L&D. Um, so thank you for, for that. So, yeah, my name's Ian. Um, I am uh, still working with Avado uh, as a CIPD um, tutor, helping people through level five uh, learning and development uh, to get their professional qualifications. So quite an intense course, as uh, Joe well knows. Um, so, yeah, very good to be here today. And thanks for inviting me. Awesome. Uh, so what are we going to talk about today? Well, let's talk about train the trainer or training senior managers. Basically, anyone who is above the standard intake is what I'm getting at here, folks. So it is a essentially how to train critics if you if you really think about it because they're the ones who have decision making powers and they're going to be really on it to um make sure we deliver the best so i'm actually just going to go straight in this one open up to uh for a question for you so what does it mean to to actually train other trainers or senior members of staff so senior managers or even hr members um what what does that mean really Sure. I think um, there's always this concern when you're training other trainers. I think probably the last thing a trainer ever wants to do is train another trainer. <laughs> uh, I, that just might be me. I don't have so much of an issue with uh, managers and HR uh, people, but other trainers, you're always thinking, oh, are they judging me? Are they, are they looking at me going, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way and, and that kind of stuff. So I, I guess that for me would be one of the challenges. But, you know, I think... The same should apply to all people, regardless of whether they're, you know, off the street or you know, lowest uh, group in the in the organisation, whatever you want to call it. Um, the key thing is to still remember that, you know, you have to be a subject matter expert wherever humanly possible in delivering uh, your topic to those people, because that's one of the things that's going to foul you up straight away if you haven't got that that experience or knowledge, or as I often say, the breadth and depth of, of knowledge, um, because people will just catch you out and, and they'll see through you. So I think you, you've got to be careful of that. Um, I, I guess with any training, you've got to be professional. You've got to be prepared. Uh, and I think regardless of who you're training, once again, it's, it's all about having high level facilitation skills, but also um, the ability to adapt promptly to the needs of those people in that room regardless of who they are I'm sorry to make that kind of that statement straight off the bat but I think it's regardless of who they are you need to be ready and prepared to, to work with them and be flexible that, that would be my statement on that one awesome uh pretty bold statement uh <laughs> um so that's it's it's really interesting because when we think about senior members within an organization so whether it's you know uh, even even like just management that that's it so your mm -hmm. manager for example you just feel there's a, a bit of a disconnect. And I don't know if you've ever felt that, you know, when talking from uh, frontline operations staff, for example, to managerial staff in the back, there just does seem to be sort of an unwritten disconnect. And 
when it comes to training in my personal experience, I found that the managers or the senior leadership teams or even um, CEOs, there does seem to be a alternate focus. So yes, they're paying attention to you, but they've also got something else going on in their mind. And I found that as the higher up you go, the less information is actually needed. Um, it's just very much um, you're getting straight to a point uh, because their time is obviously more um, more condensed. Yeah, no, I get that. Mm-hmm. So my question then, um, and it might seem slightly odd, but we, we do have a very wide range of listeners. Um, what is involved really in training another trainer? But more importantly, what's more involved in training leaders? Because I know sure. you do a lot of work with leaders. And yes. what's involved with, with training that leader? And what makes it different from, you know, training Joe Blogs off the street, if you will? Mm. I think um, there's some very good points you make there about, you know, the, the needs of the individual. So I think, I, I guess I'd go back to the, um, the basics of just saying, making sure you understand your learner. Uh, what's going on in their world, what might be causing them distractions uh, away from the training environment, um, what their general beliefs are on training, because I think that's one of the things a lot of leaders will often say, well, you know, I've got to where I am because I've I've learned and I've, I've done all this and got all this experience. What more can you tell me? Um, but it's not necessarily about telling, it's helping them investigate it for themselves as well. So I, I think, you know, understanding your learner Uh, is number one understanding their learning needs is number two so literally what is it that you're helping them understand or to learn Um, what is their current understanding of that topic you know what's the tacit knowledge they might have already uh, inbuilt within them or the experiences they might have had you know it might be a a conversation just to understand that point first and and offer them the respect that that deserves I think the, the final one would probably come down to logistics and I don't mean just, you know, logistics as in how am I going to get the training done in what room and using what form or whatever. But, you know, the logistics of the cultural um, aspects uh, of working with these leaders. What is it that their expectations are of of this training experience? Um, what time frames do they have to work within? Is it that we might be better off doing, you know, one hour snap sessions rather than a full day at something? or personalizing far more the, the, the topics that they want to discuss to keep them interested and engaged within a limited time that they have to retain interest I, I guess once again that's what I really answer on that one Joe yeah no um, that's actually a, a very good thought to, to kind of have so taking in their their current their work calendar if you will into and what their that's their on. workload is because they may not have that time like you say to dedicate two three or even four days to learning a particular subject or just a particular thing. Um, and even then, we, we kind of do go into it in a, a sort of a blinded state where we have, an, as a trainer, we have our assumption about what that person needs to know or wants to know. But like you say, until you have that conversation, we don't actually have any idea. They may actually only need 10% of what you had planned, you know, mentally planned to, to deliver to them. And you can do it in those snap sessions or if it was to be um, over a four day period, you know, is it going to be more of a here's some material and self-learning as opposed to just sitting with a trainer and the trainer having that conversation with you? 
that's where your blend comes in yeah. you're absolutely yeah. right joe because if we can blend the learning so that they can do some prior learning i guess we need to understand in in the in the first place what it is they need to learn uh, so that's even before we sit in the training room with them but the blend would allow you then to allow them to uh, get information to start thinking about it to start formulating their questions etc and then when you're actually in the live session together that's when the the, the real learning happens i think yeah. coaching discussion stuff like that yeah. sorry to interrupt i just thought that's yeah, a very no, good point you made 100 percent agree with you glad you do it please feel free to do it even more i really don't mind <laughs> um, so we you know we talk about all this all this you know what we need to do what what makes great training and stuff in on the podcast mm. and um i'm curious as to what you know you've, you've been in this for, for quite a bit of time like in, in this gig um not a comment on your age at all. Being just going to be very clear on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say 30 years. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I was looking more at 10, but okay. Um, so, what what would you feel some some common mistakes that get made when when dealing with this sort of uh, train the trainer or training with management or you know um, please feel free to, to separate those two as much as you want. Sure. Um, but like, yeah, what, what would you say have been some conversations and, you know, conversations you've even made yourself back in your, your younger days? <laughs> and still make probably to this very right. day, because uh, none of us are perfect and we all keep on learning. So, yeah, I, 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 for me, it's uh, the number one mistake that anyone can make is to underestimate their audience and to not be prepared. Uh, in some way or another so like I say about understanding those learners what the learning is and the logistics I think those are my critical three that I always refer to and make sure that I've got a, a really good understanding of before I even think about sitting in front of somebody or getting them to sit in front of me um, some of the other common mistakes for me I often forget especially when you're talking to uh, other professionals you know L&D professionals you forget the amount of tacit knowledge that they have um, and experiences that they have and there's always that horrible horrible risk and I feel you know concerned about doing it today especially with all your listeners and the, the variety of people you might have uh, listening to this um, this you know fear of teaching grandmother to suck eggs <laughs> that is a, a big concern um, so I, I think that would be a mistake sometimes to go into too much basic information or if you do do it you know, ask for permission to do it and say, look, I'm just going to just cover off some real basics. Sorry if you're familiar with this, but just want to be sure of. And, and then maybe ask them questions so people can, you know, confirm that their knowledge is as good as you'd hope they would be. Um, another thing I think we often make mistakes of, uh, and I'm just going to drop in a little bit of uh, neuroscience and NLP for us, is, uh, <laughs> if that's okay. Um, it's uh, understanding and respecting their map of the world now what i mean by their map of the world is each one of us has a viewpoint from which we take learning and, and you know topics and information in fact it's our map of the world it's how we view things now that map can be hideously distorted and whilst we as trainers may understand it as hideously distorted in the other person's view you can't challenge that because that is their view you have to respect it it's not to say, though, that you can't ask questions to identify where the, the map is coming from so that you might be able to uh, help them see 
different mountain ranges or different uh, potential uh, quagmires that they could get into on their map of the world. But I think understanding that and and respecting it, even though it may not be correct, is really important. Does does that make sense, Joe? Have I get, given, given yeah. enough account of what I mean by that? Yeah, so um, just to kind of recap my understanding of, of what mm. you're saying is that how someone views a particular subject or a particular way of doing things may not be the traditional or way that's been taught or the correct mm -hmm. way, depending on how you want to look at it. But having an understanding of how they view things helps us to engage with them and identify points where they can um, have pitfalls or climb to better places to see more and change that map if they will. Spot or even on. as you know as we say unfog it from our point of view as well yeah that's very that's a very good put up point and so good i'm glad that that's come across clearly because i think that for me is another one to really to worry about um and when it comes to leaders and managers uh if i differentiate them away from uh trainers i think the concern there i would have probably is if i didn't have an understanding of their constraints uh, because it's really very, very easy as a as a trainer or an LD professional to sometimes oversimplify and uh, make things look too easy or worse still, too theoretical. Um, and we all know that the the risks and pitfalls of of trainers that provide fantastic theory that cannot be proven <laughs> or cannot be delivered in a pragmatic way uh, within a, an organization so understanding their constraints that might prevent them from being theoretically perfect um, or not giving them the opportunity to understand the theory but to play with the uh, possibilities and to play with the options they've got to make it more uh, active and pragmatic i think that's a that's a risk um, yeah, I think those would be the ones I really cover off and things that I've certainly and, and still do to this day. Sometimes I will crash into something thinking, oh, I know what the problem is here or I've got a pretty ind good indication of how I could fix this. And I have landed flat on my face on a couple of occasions uh, where that has yeah. been utterly wrong. And uh, I've, I've been called out and challenged quite rightly uh, and had to do some backpedaling darn fast. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling a little bit too well, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, I mean, it's, it's great how, how we need to get that, like I say, get that understanding and kind of unblur those, those lines of, of someone's world map. And I think that's, that's an important takeaway, regardless of, of what anyone says about today's episode of today's podcast or, you know, just even in the learning environment, just unblurring those lines is perhaps the best takeaway um, I would ever, ever say to someone. Um, now, I'm going to move something... A little bit more into uh, into your realm uh, around the sort of leadership side of things, and the reason I want to do this is because, as L and D professionals, we are looked to for guidance and information and the basic constraints of what a leader is, mm. at least my what my understanding of a leader is or should be, mm. and I'm curious as to you know what advice you would have for people. Who, who are listening in what being a leader is like is there things beyond the standard you know uh, you should be open to advice you should be um you know do as i do not as i say kind of thing like, what's mm. what's your take on, on that whole being a leader um 
golly <laughs> how many hours well, we got to do guy, this right? yeah <laughs> um yeah that's a that's a heck of a challenge because i mean to clearly define what leadership is 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 a challenge in itself for me uh, i think if you are going to be a leader then you need some absolute prerequisites um the first of one which would be without question emotional intelligence mm. the ability to understand uh, others points of view uh, as you said earlier in in your introduction to this uh, this question you said about how important it was to understand and to be able to listen and i think that is absolutely critical um you also need to have the capability to uh, emotionally regulate so you know you're going to be under very high pressures uh, a lot of stress um, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of demands of you and your time. So you've got to be able to regulate that stress and not leak emotionally, if that makes sense, and not let it out. So people see you losing control or, um, you know, uh, losing strength in, in commitment or, or, or whatever. That said, there's no harm in showing vulnerability where it's where it's appropriate. Uh, you know, and just say, look, guys this is a this is a real tough time i i accept that i know that um we're going to work through this together um and i think that's that's the vulnerability that could be could be used when it comes to um other things i would probably say around uh, leadership it is about motivating uh motivating people towards a common goal or towards achievement of something and it's up to you as a leader to identify what level of of results that would be you know if it's a, a team in great stress and under a lot of pressure then the, the the little steps that you can take the baby steps if you like you can take to motivate them may be very small and what you'd term as insignificant mm. but that's all the team will cope with at that particular moment in time i think if you've got a team that's highly committed and under less stress then yeah stretch them take them further motivate them uh, further but you've, you've got to manage that motivation thing very carefully. Um, so as a leader, I think that's that is one or, or two of the biggest challenges. Emotional intelligence, got to have it. Without it, you're at risk of reducing trust, uh, losing um, good people and maybe making wrong decisions. And I think without good motivation and a knowledge of where you're heading for, um, then then once again, you can't really lead easily. That that would be my my statement on those. Yeah, uh, do you know, I kind of I love getting this in every time I can. Um, and so I'm going to be you know, a little bit pedantic about it, but um, you talk about stress, and yeah. that's I think that's a, a key thing to understand, regardless of any role you're in at the end of the day. And I always love to apply this bit. It's the um, the Yerkes Dodson's law of stress, and if you look at it, it's sort of like a, a bell curve. Like, mm. and it shows motivation versus stress levels. So at that sweet spot where you're at the peak of the curve is where you are the most motivated, you have the right amount of stress to motivate you, um, but either side is you've not got enough stress to motivate you or you've got too much stress, which is not motivating you. So um, I'll link that in the, in the show notes for everyone who's listening, but I always love to get that bit in there when we talk about stress, uh, just because I think it's absolutely um essential when applied to a working environment uh, especially lnd yeah it's a great model great model to use for sure um cool so being a leader really big thing um one thing i'll definitely say that i take away is that i'm i'm never afraid to say i don't know 
And you talk about that vulnerability. And I think being able to say you don't know something is showing that vulnerability in a very safe way of doing it. And you get more respect if you say you don't know, as opposed to just try and ramble through something, hoping you'll hit that little, little piece of gold that the person wants to hear. Um, and that kind of, you know, that kind of comes into, I would say, a culture as well, because we don't, you know, we want to feel safe that we can say, I don't know to someone, or let me find that out for you. Um, how do you, how do you personally bring culture into the learning environment? Ah, oh, that's a that's a cracking question, and one one that I find quite challenging to answer effectively. So let me give you my best shot. Yeah. Um, you talked about there allowing people to feel at ease. Now, I think in the learning and development arena, uh, allowing people to feel at ease, open, safe environment, all that kind of stuff. They are once again, sorry to use the phrase prerequisites again, but they are or should be every learning development professionals. Um, key prerequisite is to make sure that the environment that people are learning in is safe you know wrong answers are okay making mistakes are okay making an idiot of yourself is okay uh, all of those things should be there for sure um so setting up culture of the learning environment would be around the you know the usual kind of things of if we're talking technically of of doing some kind of contracting at the beginning of the session where you're agreeing with people what is you know acceptable behavior what is you know what you'd expect out of them in a session what you expect out of a facilitator in a session some of the old-fashioned tricks that we used to use and still probably do i think have got places to help that culture and you can you can design it from the first moment of meeting people by doing a really good setup of a session so that understood everybody understands what you're doing there and what's acceptable and what isn't so I really like that. It's an old technique. I've used it for many years and it still serves me well. Um, as in for other versions of culture, and, and do stop me here, Joe, if I'm going into a different realm of culture than what you want. But um, for me, understanding an organization's culture, and, and if you're embedded in that culture as part of the L&D team, then you hopefully are in a much more uh, expert place. But if you're not a regular you know, employee and you're, you know, diving in as a consultant, then I would say that understanding the organization's culture in general, so its vision, its values, what it holds dear, the the stories that you hear um, in, in, you know, told in the organization will give you a very good input into what it is that that is held dear in, in the culture. So, as a learning and development professional, what I would do is ensure I understood what those values were, that I understood what they looked like being lived within the organization. And then I'd make sure absolutely at every opportunity, I was number one, demonstrating those values, mm -hmm. gotta be there, uh, mentioning them for sure. And where possible, aligning some of the topics or discussions around some of those values to help people understand, well, this is how you're living these values. So, uh, Joe, is, is that OK as an answer? Because yeah. that's that's how I think about um, living culture in an L&D environment. Yeah, no, uh, that's that's pretty much exactly what I wanted, you know, cool. bringing because how how some people tend to look at it is that the learning environment can be very different from the working environment and the culture mm. of that business. So it's, mm. it's trying to, as I say, you know, blend those two together. So that it's almost a seamless transition from 
learning into the daily routine. So as you see, if you can in, embed those values and show how they're done at the very start when people first join or when they um, take any piece of training and how that translates into the business, it's almost as though it's like, a, well, we just want you to talk to, to this guy, this trainer for a week and then you're really going to do the job. So it's like, welcome to the team. We want you to feel safe and confident and, you know, learn about us. And that just should, that should so easily move into that working environment where they don't even notice it's happened. So yeah, I a hundred percent agree with, with what you said there. Oh, good. Excellent. Good stuff. Awesome. So we, uh, we're drawing to, to a bit of an end. Um, I'm going to open the question for yourself. If there's anything else you feel you want to, to add to this, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, leaders, train the trainers or anything, is there anything you feel like you want to bring into this uh, just as a takeaway or, or, or conversational piece? Um, for, for me, I think when you, when you, when you are looking at leaders and uh, managers and training them, don't always think you have all the answers uh, as a trainer. Um, the answers should always be within the participants. And I think that that stands very much strongly to me. And don't be um, put off by the status often of, of individuals. I think that can be something that could be quite off-putting to trainers who are relatively new to, to perhaps, uh, you know, training upwards, <laughs> you know, training like board members and stuff like that. Um, you might argue yourself, you, you, you suffer perhaps from this imposter syndrome thinking, well, yep. well, what am I doing here? Why am I here? You know, what can I possibly tell this person? Um, well, it's not telling them. It's about releasing their potential. It's about you facilitating with them uh, to help them learn and understand perhaps their own uh, shortfalls or strengths. Um, and I guess that's the point you need to take into account. You're there to support, facilitate and help rather than be the, the magical guru. Uh, I think that's the one we don't want to be because that's where you can fall down. Um, when it comes to training trainers, I would say very similarly as well, engage them, uh, involve them as much as is possible with the, the ongoing design of the learning that they're going to experience. Um, and one of the things I'm very, and this is a bit controversial perhaps, Joe, but I'm going to say it out loud. I am not very strict about, if, we're, if I'm training a trainer to mm -hmm. train something that I've written, I am not prescriptive about how they train it. All I'm prescriptive about is the message that they're putting across. How they choose to train it is their own personality, uh, their own uh, style, mm -hmm. um, and their own experiences. And I really want that because that's what adds credibility and adds flavour uh, to, to a session so as long as the message gets across that's what I care about how the message gets across I leave entirely to the 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 trainer's own perspective and experiences and and how they'd like to run it so that's uh, perhaps a bit controversial I don't know what do you think there on that one Jim? you are touching on a, on a few boundaries especially the the hard and fast rules about having session plans for everything and you know you've got to do it by the book by the powerpoint or whatever and I'll be honest with you I am exactly like you like anyone can give me a powerpoint and a session plan to read that's not learning that is simply relaying information um, right so taking the core concept of it and delivering it how you want you may find as a you through your own experience that a group activity works so much better or open discussion just to really bring people to life because as as l and d i think we fall into the habit of talking 
at people, not with people. And that's, that's agreed. And I think it's a real it's a real shame when an LD function doesn't trust its learners, sorry, yeah. doesn't trust its uh, professionals to do a professional job. You know, <laughs> if you if you're paying for people to 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 help train and facilitate and and support the development of people, then you've got to give it to them to be able to do it at the right time with the right skills and the right tools for the right people. Yeah. So it, it does mean it. every time it should be personalised. Every time I do a session, it will be different than the one I did before because I've got different people in front of me. And I think immediately you start trying to standardise everything and become highly consistent with the delivery methodology, not necessarily the message, uh, sorry, not necessarily the message. Message has to be consistent. But how it's put across, I think, should be um, very much up to the needs of the learners that are in the room with the facilitator or L&D professional and for the L&D professional to deliver what those learners need at that point. Very yeah. much. Yeah, totally agree, 100%. Uh, so last piece that we move on to is one takeaway. So if our listeners have ignored everything we've just said uh, for the last 20, 25 minutes, however long it might be, uh, what is one thing in, in, in just a simple sentence that you would want people to take away from this episode? I, I would say whoever you're training, and especially if it's trainers and leaders and managers, be prepared, understand them, understand their needs and their constraints. And I think you've mentioned it earlier. I'm going to repeat it again. Take a perspective of their map of the world, understand that, and then you will be in a place where you can help and be an effective um, developer of people and unlocking the potential of those people. Excellent. Awesome source. Uh, thank you very much, Ian. Do appreciate your time today. Uh, and it's been wonderful um, having you on the show. Thanks, Joe. It's been great to have you here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you would love to reach out to Ian, uh, you can do so on LinkedIn and I'll also include uh, any additional uh, links to his material or himself uh, within the show notes. If you want to reach out to the show, please do so. Uh, you can email us at lnd101podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Instagram, Learning and Development 101. Uh, or if you feel like you want to support the show in any way, you can reach out to us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash learning and development 101. I'm your host, Joe. And I will catch you all in the next episode.